It just occurred to me that I'm a dealer, an information dealer. And in this era of oversimplified memes and misleading hyperbolic sound bites, I'm an even hotter commodity than a drug dealer. Think about it. I pour through mountains of data, boil it down to one entertaining episode of The Ignorance Equation or a 500-word easily digestible article, and I send it out to the desperate and hungry masses. I give people a quick, dangerous fix of news, and the news hit is even more potent than the previous one before it. I deal in escapism, not from reality, but through reality. But I'm not your typical pusher on the street selling dime bags of skunkweed to high school kids on Friday night. No, we here at the Ignor Equation are fucking information kingpins. The Scarface of political dissent, the Pablo Escobar of civic debate, the Walter White of the information age. We are breaking bad blue myth, the, the breaking bad blue meth of information. Our purity levels are through the roof. Our shit isn't stomped all over, and it's not cut with dangerous BS. Just pure, uncut, Colombian discourse that you cannot quit or ignore. So pick up your fact pipes and come get some all-American political commentary from outside the corrupt corporate-owned media, suckers. Yeah, baby. I'm your information pusher. Welcome to the Ignorance Equation. I am your benevolent host, Nick the Saucy One Cat Source, humble servant of the people, or maybe I should change that to humble pusher of the people. And as always, I am broadcasting to you live from the land of meth and honey, Caraville, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my blogging, cooking, building, guarding, fixing, producing, um, studying, editing, lovemaking, supporting, one hell of a producer. The Lucy to my Ricky, the Lady to the to my Tramp, the Josephine to my Napoleon, D the Maven domestic, D was shaken. D, all right, I guess D is taking a call. And I also want to introduce a man who is not only back on the Trump train, but has hijacked it and is now driving it straight down everyone's throat. Dwayne the Olive Badger. I'm I'm so tired of these intros. Dee now gets lovemaking. I don't get lovemaking in my intro. What the hell? Maybe you should work a little harder. Sorry, you're right. It's me. <laughs> All righty. And I also want to introduce a lady who loves John Kasich, loves Jello shots, and loves long walks on the beach. Fern Thompson. 
Hey, hey, I'm digging this music, man. It's got a nice, funky groove. I love it. It I sounds know. like something I'm... to be played in a 70s porno. You would know all it's about chill. 70s it's, it, it really flows, man. It's oh really my God. chill. I love it. I I see, yeah, uh, I'm not uh, having an acid No, I'm kidding. I, I can see Marky Mark and Boogie Knight doing his thing to his song right mm-hmm. now with, Roll, with Roller Girl. Heck yeah. See, I gave you an intro pointing out your many, many attributes and a reason I love you. And it's probably the most romantic I'm ever going to get in our life. So I'm sorry that uh-huh. you had a- No, you didn't, Dean. Uh-huh. You did all negative things. Yeah, I, 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 I know, right? No, uh, we, it, the phone lines are going insane this morning. But I do wish to remind everybody before we get started that uh, we are doing our 100th episode super mega giveaway for Kettle of Fish and and Antiquated, I guess. Uh, So you need to get in on this. We've already gotten, uh, let's see, CDs, a DVD. Uh, We've got stickers. We've got fishy things. We've got an actual kettle because it is Kettle of Fish and we're literal like that. Uh, so head over to facebook.com slash KOS show and click on the giveaway tab. Your odds are still really good. Somebody and you forgot, autographed still from True Blood, from one of our most famous I favorite did. people in the world. Oh, did you? Okay. I was grooving to the music, yeah, so I'm like listening to you. No, I forgot. One. You're right. You're right. And, yeah. and don't forget to mention, members Wait of the Inquisition Kettle Fish and their family members are not eligible to enter or win. Well, yeah. So, you know, I can't just keep the flag. That's that's not cool. Um, but all good. Although, all right. Tell everybody what's I, I, coming I up real quick, D, because we've got Xander and Jason both on the line waiting to get in here. Yes, of course. We have got so much stuff coming up. Like, it, it's just about ridiculous. Um, we have got coming up on our show today, of course, is comedian Brady Posey, who is probably, she. I, I, I already love her. I haven't even spoken to her yet. I think she's cool. Um, and she has great blue hair sometimes and sometimes but red. But you're not going to love the subject matter of today's Kettle of Fish. Oh, God, I know, right? Um, then we've got Alex White of White Mystery coming back. We've got comedian Rebecca Lieb coming to the show. We've got our buddy Rob Crusaint. He's going to play some trivia with us. We've got Mormon Zine coming on. We've got Ben Stewart from Song Handle coming back. We've got comedian Chris Mohan. We've got uh, magician slash upcycler supreme Steve Trash coming on. We've got ventriloquist Christine Barger. And we have got an actor that probably everybody who is listening or has ever listened to the show has seen sometime in at least two things. We've got Sean Whalen coming on, um, and our 100th episode is just going to be absolutely insane. We are going to announce the Kettlefish giveaway winner sometime during that episode. So if you absolutely can't wait, then go enter at KOF Show on, and um, listen in on the 100th episode. We'll have... Um, we're going to have John Lear. We're going to have William Sanderson's going to call in. Rachelle from King of the Nerds is going to call in. We are working on an out-of-this-world guest. And Fingers crossed. We will announce. Yes, definitely. Fingers and toes and, and nose and everything else. Um, yeah, we've got that coming up. And today is an open forum show, of course. Our number here is 646-478-3554. If it takes me just a minute to answer the phone, that means I'm on the other line with somebody else. 
And because we do have so many people calling in, um, we are going to try to, when one person calls in, give them some time, and then when another person calls in, we're going to have to let them go for another person because the studio can only hold so many phone lines open before it starts to lose its mind. Um, we have had that happen once before, and I think I actually had, was dropped a couple of times. And I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Like, me? Like, I was dropped off the phone. Not that it can differentiate, but anyway. Well, speaking of um, crappy server, hopefully we'll be moving the show soon. We did a 90-minute episode today instead of the usual two hours because mm-hmm. – um, just to break the fourth wall here, we get two hours of live time and an hour of not on air time in case we run over. So I said, well, look, we got this hour of extra air time. Why don't we just do a whole nother show and do it as a bonus podcast and attach it to the end of this show and then put it up separately called Kettle of Fish. And then we could decompress and talk fun stuff after, you know, me and Dwayne are done screaming at each other about politics. Well, because we've been having so many technical issues to the studio, and once 3 o'clock hits, we have no way of getting back with somebody once we're past that two-hour mark. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to do try it today, do a 90-minute show. That way that other half hour we can do Kettle of Fish live. So if we lose someone or can't reach somebody, it's not like last week with Heidi when we're losing our fucking minds trying to get everyone queued yeah. in. And by the way, yeah, it's pretty calling in stress. today from Redacted Tonight. I think he's calling in around 2.15-ish, so we'll be looking forward to talking to him. I've got my buddy Jason on the line. We've got Xander Demos on the line. He is a guitarist, multi-talented guitarist, usually uh, mostly heavy metal rock-type stuff. Had him on the music show, thought we were just going to talk music. The guy is so bright, has so many good opinions. I said, well, let's get him on the political show because he is more than just a musician. He's got a lot of good stuff going on. So, Jason, Xander, you guys with us? Yeah, definitely here. Hello. Xander, you with us? Yes, sir. This is Xander. Yeah, yes, sir. Oh, very regal. Yeah. Ooh. All right. <laughs> hey, I, I'm not quick, a sir. Yeah, My dad's a sir. Hello. All right, guys. Yeah, I hear you, Jason. You're with us. You hear me? Okay. I'm here, but I'll be in and out, but I'll be here. Oh, right on. We'll keep right on. on as long as we can. All right, check it out. I know I sent out a format, but I was reading something in the Skeptic the other day, Skeptic Magazine, and I was like, hey, this would be a good thing to kind of throw out there to start the show to see, to kind of gauge where everybody's morality is at going into these complicated subjects. Um, so let me start with this. Hey, this is a little thought experiment that I read in Skeptic, and it's called the Runaway Trolley Dilemma. So you're on a trolley going down a hill, brakes give out. You can stay on your track. You don't have to do anything. Stay on your track and do your thing. But there's five construction workers at the bottom of the hill. Dwayne, I know you're super picky, so they're all using jackhammers. Their backs are turned. they got headphones on. They can't hear it. They can't jump out of the way. The only option you have is to pull the lever to switch tracks to a track that nobody ever uses. It's been out of commission for years. But there is a person hanging out on that track with their back to you talking on their cell phone. Do you run over to five people and do nothing proactively, or do you proactively pull the lever and run over to one person? Keep in mind, if you do nothing, you're kind of not responsible for the consequence. 
However, some, if you, uh, real, real quick, Nick, someone, someone, we're getting really bad feedback. You're breaking up, Nick. I apologize. Somebody's having yeah, really yeah, bad yeah, feedback. Is it Xander? We're hearing people talking in the background. Okay. okay. Hold on. Xander, I don't know where you're at, but your background noise is disrupting everything. Well, okay, I'm going I'm to mute myself unless I'm talking then. Sorry about that, guys. Okay, you're cool. All right, so let me start off with Dwayne, and keep in mind the rub to this whole thing is – if you proactively pull that lever, then you are the one deciding the fate of a human being. If you do nothing, right. then you're just kind of letting destiny take its course. Let's go around the table here. Let's start off with Dwayne. Dwayne, do you pull the lever and kill one person, or do you just let nature take its course and, like, final destination and run over to five? You made this too simple for me. I despise people walking around with their noses buried in cell phones because as a motorcycle rider... I see that all the time, and I've almost gotten hit in the past year how many times again. So I would definitely pull the lever right to the cell phone. To the, the person's probably taking a selfie themselves anyway, so maybe they can catch it right as the train runs their ass over. And there's actually a guide, um, selfie awareness guide, to, to make sure, like, all these people who have died taking selfies, falling off fucking bridges and jumping, like, yep. standing in front of cars and stuff. And I think that's one of them that on that um, selfie safety guide. Fern, Good. do you proactively kill somebody, or do you let nature take its course and don't prevent the death of five people as opposed to just killing one? Actually, I look at this very differently. I don't look at it as a uh, – you have a choice. Whether you decide to pull the lever or not, you still have made a choice. You know, Rush had some great song lyrics. You know, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. So by not pulling that lever and saving five people for one person, you still have made a choice. So the onus is on you no matter what. Whether you do something or not, you still have to decide whether you're going to or not. So I would I would definitely switch tracks, unfortunately. I mean, it's a horrible situation to be in, but to save five for the price of one, then it's, you know, I mean, what other choice yeah, do you have? Yeah, but what if that one guy is voting Trump and the five are voting Bernie? Does that make a difference? <laughs> oh, no, that actually makes me more inclined to pull the lever. Well, well see, see to me, I was thinking, I was thinking the hardworking men were probably Trump voters, and then the Bernie voter was the one on on uh, uh, mm-hmm. Twitter or wherever it was. So therefore, you know. <laughs> well, you know, it's like seeing something, you know, going wrong in a school. You know, we teach our kids: if you see bullying, then say something. You know, interject. You know, stick up for somebody. Tell a teacher, whatever. The same goes in your adult life. If you see something that's wrong or people being treated horribly or just something going on that shouldn't be, then you need to stand up and say something. You can't – complacency is not an option. All right, fair enough. D, are you pulling that lever? And I had it backwards. I meant what if the one guy with a Sanders supporter to five or Trump supporters? Sorry, I've got another window open here taking care of something. Um, I, I'm very – do you run over? Do you allow one five people to die, or do you proactively kill one person to save five people? I'm very Spock-ish or Spock-esque in this. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. Always. Hold on. Um, even if, even if that one, huh? <laughs> even right? if that one is me. The way huh? you get ready to call you a socialist, like Spock's a socialist. I, I'm sure. <laughs> but just, I mean, think about Where's it. If, if all those people were people that I knew. It would still be the same thing. If if all those people were people I knew and I was the one person, I would still make that choice because what is one life compared to five? I mean, I don't know, even if 
I mean, it, it would take a big if, like, you know, it'd have to be like freaking Hitler and Donald Trump and um, Vlad the Impaler on the one side versus like, you know, a normal human being innocent on the other for me not hey, to. Hey, but, hey, um, hey, no down in Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> you know how much good know, right? we get from Vlad the Impaler? There would, there would be like Twilight. What would the kids do with no Twilight if it wasn't for Vlad? <laughs> All right, Jason. I know. You, you're taking out one or five? How how old is the uh, the one person with the Walkman? Twenty six. His birthday's in November. Okay. Then you take out the one. All right, Xander, are you on board with everybody else? No pun intended. You take out the one and don't allow the five to die. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think politics aside, I mean, if it's you're talking about five lives to one. Um, I think it probably I, I probably would end up pulling the lever and trying to be a sort of hero for five people, you know. Um, and it's not for self-serving interest. I'm just saying that you know it's those guys are doing their jobs. The other guy on the cell phone is actually not doing a job. He might be he might be taking a selfie or something, and, and he's not aware of his surroundings. So yeah, I probably would have to go in that direction, unfortunately. Or he might be calling in the Florida cancer to his laboratory, and then he just ran him over. Yeah, yeah, that's also destiny. It's like it's like they said about you know making a choice. That but that brings up a good thing about self awareness. But that's the point of this experiment, though, right? The point of this experiment is destiny is going to take its course and run over five people, and all you're doing is not standing in destiny's way, but you are proactively choosing to take someone's life who, under another circumstance, wouldn't be destined to die. So, do you play God? Jump in. And make that choice to take that person's life and kind of cheat destiny out of the five life, lives like a fucking final destination movie. Right. So, I don't know. Dwayne, you were saying something? Yeah, this reminds me of the, the old Polish joke. There's two Polish girls going down the hill real fast. And one of the drivers says, oh, my God, we lost our brakes. And the passenger says, don't worry. There's a stop sign at the bottom of the hill. We'll be all right. But I don't think we have to worry about it. <laughs> That joke might have been funny in the 80s. All right, let's move on. Or if you're Polish. <laughs> I, I want to read this post that I got the other day. Um, actually, a friend of mine posted it, and I replied to it because this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Maybe you guys, it makes sense to you. He posted this thing basically saying that the people at the Trump rally, the, the protesters at the Trump rally are terrorists. And it says here, terrorism, now, the use of violence and intimidation and pursuit of political aims. So I usually try not to chime on too much on people's stuff because um, I try to keep my political opinions in my forum and not lose any more friends than I already have. And I got a lot going on anyways where I don't need to be commenting all over Facebook. But I had a comment to this that came across my stream. And I put, so everyone who has threatened to beat my ass for my Facebook post and attempt to shut me down as a terrorist now. And he said, yes, it's a form of terrorism. It goes both ways. Um, let me hit you up first, Dwayne. If somebody, if I post something or someone sends me a message like, if you don't stop doing the ignorance equation, I'm going to blow up your car, are they a terrorist just for saying that? Or let, let's um, not even take death. Let's say violence. I'm going to beat your ass if you keep doing the ignorance equation. Is that person now a terrorist? Because that seems like a weak argument. To me. If you go by what most um, jurisdictions have, terroristic threat which I am a victim of myself. A guy came out near the baseball bat one time when he almost ran me over with my motorcycle, and I 
I had to defend myself, and I said, I'll blow your fucking brains out if you come any one step closer with me. They, they charged me the terroristic threat because I said it. Had I just pulled my gun and pointed it at him, it wouldn't. It would have been different, but because yeah, I what does that have to do with politics? That's not an act of terrorism. Well, well, here here's the deal. Um, how I'm just saying because most jurisdictions do cover consider threatening terroristic. They put that term in there, terroristic threats to cause terror. But according to uh, HR 347, signed into law by Barack Hussein Obama on February 2000 in February 2012, it is illegal under current federal law to protest any. Uh, federal campaign while the uh, campaign is under um, Secret Service protection and it's considered a terroristic act. So according to what Obama had signed in 2012, they are considered domestic terrorists for going after a campaign rally and speaker. So if you go by the law and the rules, yes, they are. Wow, and Xander. you said you are a rule of, rule of law man, so there you go. I did not know that. Xander, um... So what do you think about this? You say something on your Facebook, someone sends you an email and goes, your opinion's fucked up, I hope I see you in a dark alley one day to beat your ass. Did that guy just commit an act of terrorism? Because I think it kind of dilutes the term when you stick terrorism on everybody, right? No, he didn't, he, didn't act, he didn't commit an act of terrorism. What he did is he signed his own fucking death warrant. Because if anybody basically threatens me because I have a different opinion than you, then you better get have a good dental plan because I'm going to knock all your fucking teeth out. And that's promise. <laughs> Because because here's the bottom line. I yeah, like I, I I I do lean more towards the right than anything else. I mean, I'm not I'm I'm unapologetic about it. You can basically just choose and say, hey Xander, you know what? I just disagree with you. Oh, that's cool, dude. We'll we'll still talk music. We'll talk we'll talk skateboarding. We'll talk cars. We'll talk women with big boobs if you want. It doesn't matter to me. That's totally cool. But just the fact that I have a different opinion and you're so impassioned about it that you're you're gonna threaten me, dude. Seriously. Give me give me your den, your dentist number or whatever because you're you're getting fucked up. Well, how do you have Xander, anything like that to anybody? Xander, you had me at the you're gonna get fucked up for threatening me. You you most certainly had me when you start talking boobs. I am a fan now. You got me, buddy. There <laughs> you go, man. See, that, that, that's me too. I mean, that, that, that's that's exactly it. I mean, <laughs> so I'm just I'll just just to answer your question. If somebody you know emails me. Or threatens me like that. I'm, I'm just gonna say, dude. I, here, I'll, I'll meet you at this exit here in Pittsburgh. Look, bring it. You know well, what I mean? See, I'm, I, 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 I fear nobody. Using it because I think violence begets violence. And I had someone threaten me not too long ago that I grew up with, and he was talking about his Christianity, but then he was like, you know, street bums, fuck them, they should die. And I was like, well, how is that Christian? And we got into this big argument, and he's like, you know, I work two jobs since I was 16 years old. I work two full-time jobs all the time. And he's like, I'm going to fly out to Tennessee and find you and beat your ass. And I was like, well, maybe you wouldn't have to work two jobs if you didn't fly all over the country beating up people who didn't agree with you. Let me guess, you're flying out to Utah next week to beat up some 14-year-old who beat you in Candy Crush, right? Like, I just nice. I don't go down to, like, macho man, jump, like, bite into a Slim Jim. I, I did have to ask someone to meet up with me once who sent an email to Danielle calling her a cunt. And, like, blew up my page. And that guy, I said, hey, let me take you out to lunch. We're going to have a nice little talk when next time I'm in town, pal. And he was like, I don't talk to yeah. liberals in real life. Fuck you. And he blocked us all because he's such a man. He's right. such a There you go. Jason, awesome. I think we got a little bit off track. But you, you've seen people, I'm sure, say threatening things on my political posts. Are they all terrorists? 
No, and, and people threaten me all the time. Um, I found it interesting that, uh, like in Xander's comment, he self-identified as leaning right wing before he answered the question. I, I'm not sure how that pertains to anything that you're saying, but I found it interesting. Um, at the same time, no, absolutely not. I ignore them. Um, if they start you know, coming up with specific plans, you know, hey, you know, I know where you work at. I'm going to be there at 830 to come and shoot you. Then, yes, if it's the specific, um, if they threaten a specific act, then, yes, you know, in that case, it could be considered as terrorism. I mean, obviously, a case by case basis. But in in general terms, people threaten me all the time when they come kick your ass. I hate you. Your, your views suck. Um, and I just ignore them, obviously, because they're, you know, they need to grow up. All right, well, I feel like we're saying that this is, like, once again, I don't even acknowledge the term liberal anymore because Ted Cruz is a liberal now. Fox News is liberal. Everything's liberal. So that term means nothing to me because everything in the whole world is liberal except Trump supporters. They're the only thing on the planet left that's not liberal. Fern, doesn't this, like I asked Sander, doesn't this totally take the winds out of the sails of the term terrorist when any asshole trolling me on Facebook is now considered a domestic terrorist? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, there are there are bullies and there are people with legitimate gripes and there are people who are legitimately angry and then there are people who are just using, looking for an outlet. You know, and it's really easy to be big and bad sitting back on Facebook or whatever social media you're using, Twitter, whatever. And you know, just blast, I'm going to kick your ass. And most I would say 90 to 95% of those people will never put their ass where their mouth is. They would never ever even think to get up off that chair. But it's really easy to throw pixels out there, right, and feel superior. But that's just a very mentality. And I don't really look at, you know, just protesters at a Trump rally as being terrorists. I mean, you have the right to protest. You have the right to say, I don't like this guy. I don't like what he stands for. And and freely do that without violence, of course. I would never, you know, promote violence. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm too nice. I don't really have a lot of people who threaten to kick my ass. But when push comes to shove, I mean, I'm a short girl, but I'm a spitfire. So you just, I kind of just snap out when I do get into that situation. But most people, you know, I, I don't know, I guess. I just have never had anyone threaten to kick my ass, but I wouldn't consider them a terrorist if they said, I want to kick your ass. I'd be like, let's go. I'm good with that, you know. I just, I don't ever get into those altercations. But, yeah, it it does make the terrorism term very diluted when so many people are lumped into that category. Dwayne, um, it does kind of sound like, you know, throwing the term terrorist around to anybody that says something threatening to you is a little bit of that PC bullshit that you're always rallying against, isn't it? Yes. Yes, and I just want to clarify, you know, I, I don't consider them terrorists, but it, like you've always said yourself, you're a man of the law, and if you go according to what the law states, which, you know, I have, I disagree with so many of these laws that we have out there. Yeah, but you're misquoting me. I, I said on many occasions, I'm a rule, rule of law, law guy. Right. That means I'll right. break the law, but I won't pervert the law. So not acknowledging that this is an act of terrorism is not me uh, perverting the law. I just happen to disagree with the litmus test of what a terrorist is. Right, and and I'm in the same boat with you. I'm in the same boat. I sort of put up it. I agree with you. These people, to me, are not terrorists. A person says, you know, I'm going to blow your brains out if you're being threatened. is not committing a terroristic threat. They're committing disorderly conduct, if anything. But, you know, according to the Department of Justice, gun owners are now on a watch list as domestic terrorists, you know. So, that yeah, they have diluted the term. They've made it to where 
you know, your grandmother could be a terrorist, if, 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 you know, whatever it may be. Yeah, they have diluted it. They've made this, this thing of fear, you know, see something, say something, Walmart having these video monitors of see something, say something, wanting you to rat out your neighbors because of, oh, terrorism. They use, every, use terrorism as a catch-all just for everybody to be snitches on each other. It's ridiculous. I hey Jason, I'm gonna let you go because I got Claire on the line and I wanna let her get her fifteen minutes in. Cool. All right, see you later. All right, Jason, thanks for calling in. All right, let's get Claire in here. Ah, right, the studio's doing something weird. I think we got her now. Claire, oh, no, you what's no, up? Wait, wait, wait. Now we got two sets of big boobs, Claire and Fern. All right. <laughs> uh, D two, D two. It's a bonus sets. episode. Claire, yeah, yeah. you yeah. Hello. Claire, hey, Claire, Claire, how's it going? Uh, hello from the other side. It's me. I'm calling you. Everything's nice. going okay. Uh, just laying around. Today's the equinox for all of you that don't know. It's the spring equinox out there. If you guys don't know what that is, that means the day is exactly as long as the nighttime. It's a good day Very for nice. that. It's mm-hmm. a good day to talk politics and, uh, you know. I mean, from Latin, equal meaning equal and nox meaning night. That's right. Hey, let me declare. We're going to keep this real short and sweet because we have so many people on the line. So I can't mm-hmm. let you, like, go on for 10 or 15 minutes straight. we got to let everybody get their say. Last time the show kind of got all congested by everybody talking over each other. Um, let me switch this over to Fern first. Fern, tell us what's going on with this case that you sent us, this death row case. Okay. I found this very interesting. Uh, There's a man in Ohio named Rommel Broom. He was convicted in, I guess the trial started in 1985, so I'm not sure if he was convicted in 85 or 86. Uh, But he was convicted on several counts of um, kidnapping, uh, a count of rape, and aggravated murder. He had attempted to kidnap not only a 14-year-old girl, but an 11-year-old girl who basically fought back. Her mother came out, um, tried to stop the car. The road was icy, pushed the car against a parked car, and was able for her little girl to get out. Um, But Trina Middleton was 14 years old, walking home with her three friends or her two friends from a football game. And he tried to abduct all three of them. Two of the girls fought and got away. Trina uh, was kidnapped. And she was found two hours later in an abandoned parking lot, uh, raped and stabbed seven times. It was just brutal. And the, the, the kicker with this guy is that he had already served time for the, for the rape of a 12-year-old little girl. Damn. And was out. So they convicted him. They put him to death. They sentenced him to death. And in 2009, he was in. He was laid up with all the medical people. They were trying to IV him, and they tried for two hours to IV him. And because of his previous drug use, they had a difficult time tapping his vein. So they they did take several breaks over the two-hour period. He was reported to be weeping during it, and um, they gave up. They gave him a one-week stay of execution, and he has been appealing the execution decision ever since, stating that to try to get him executed at this point would constitute, number one, double jeopardy, and also cruel and unusual punishment. He's taken it all the way to the Ohio Supreme Court. Um, They ruled four to three to execute him, and now he had uh, federal appeals that were put on hold until the Ohio State 
Supreme Court ruled, and now he's going to a federal level to try to get his death sentence reversed. And that's where that stands. It's, I mean, it's brutal, and I guess it depends on where you stand on capital punishment, if you are, agree with capital punishment or not. I tend to fall on the side of not agreeing with capital punishment, but in this case, I left out a lot of the gory details from my research, but in this particular case, I hope it's slow and painful. Well, let me say this, and people might be surprised by this who know me from my other politics. I'm actually pro-capital punishment, and Dwayne just sent me something that said bullets cost under a dollar. And I am actually pro, if we're going to execute people, I don't understand why you can't just put a bullet in their head. Like, I don't understand why this big hoorah of the gas chamber or lethal injection. And, and let me preface, preface this by saying this. I, I am not for executing people if you don't know what the hell you're doing. So if you're mixing death cocktails like Walter White in a fucking RV making blue meth and the guy's heart is exploding for 20 minutes, I'm not down with that. You need to know what the hell you're doing. But, Dwayne, I totally agree with you. Why do you think it is? It's like, oh, well, if we humanely pump them full of drugs and burn out their organs, that's fine. But if you put a bullet in their head and you turn their lights off, in a fraction of a second, that's savage and inhumane. I don't understand the distinction. Uh, again, I, I guess this just proves that I'm one of your uh, liberal lemurs. Um, I'm like your Mort to King Julian. Um, I don't understand it either. I mean, bullets are cheap, easy, and if you put a bullet to the head, especially at the base of the brain there, it's called the no-reflex zone. You instantly black out. You feel no pain, nothing. Now, older firing squads, they line you up, they aim to your chest, which could be slow and painful, which this guy does deserve, obviously. But I don't understand why the whole drug cocktail, you have to put uh, executions on hold. You use a bullet, use a goddamn guillotine, you use whatever you need, and it's, it's quicker and faster. Saudi Arabia uses a sword, and those guys get it done in, in, in within a point three seconds, and it's done and it's over with. I don't understand why we do such Xander, is this just a matter of presentation? I mean, honestly, what's the difference between gassing somebody and turning their lights out with a bullet? Uh, well, I, here, okay, here's, so here's the thing. Um, I, I'm, I am pro-capital punishment, and I would imagine that the gory details of the case would probably enrage most people. So I'm going to – and I'm not going to say that the details are going to make a difference. They've decided it's fate. To me, here's the difference between the two. Um, The bullet to the back of the head is going to be considered a hell of a lot less humane because it is probably going to splatter out the front, brain matter, skull, blood everywhere, and that probably doesn't paint a pretty picture, okay? Gassing somebody, you see them pretty much like twitch for a second, and then they go limp. All right, so I think it's a matter of, like, uh, how much of a mess they have to clean up. And I know that sounds ridiculous and stupid, but in reality, I just don't think that, you know, I, I, here's what I feel. I feel that our government, whether it's the penal system or whatever whatever system, you know, is, is carrying out these executions, they don't feel like, you know, execution by, like, by a bullet that you see, like, people, you know, like ISIS doing on a regular basis that they, they upload videos doing to people. Uh, is as humane. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure it is just it's somewhere in our system where they feel like, you know, a little bit of cyanide gas and you go you know going limp and your heart stopping is a hell of a lot more humane than your body getting a trauma of you know or your brain getting the trauma of a brain of a bullet going through it. 
Well, let me push back on this, though, because this idea that a bunch of government suits are sitting in some room trying to legislate this, and they go, so um, do we want to bring back the firing squad, or do we want to have someone just executed with a gun? And the suits are like, well, God, that's messy. Who's going to mop that up? Like, I don't feel like that's how it's playing out. I don't think it has to do with actual cleanup. Other death row inmates have them clean the fuck up, and let them see what's next. That's all you do. <laughs> Give them a mop. Yeah, a that's cold. You You're cold, Dwayne. But you see what I'm seeing, saying, Xander? I don't feel like that's a conversation that anyone's ever had. I, I don't think it is either. I mean, I, it's, it's, it is probably something that they um, that I couldn't imagine people sitting around saying, "Okay, so what? Did, what is the least gory death available?" I mean, I don't I don't think they do it. I mean, I understood that the electric chair can, could have uh, used to cause some pretty. Uh, some pretty nasty shows of execution and stuff like that. But, it, I mean, I think it all comes down to somebody who's very, you know, binary or black and white about things where they just say, if you can't pay for the crime, don't fucking do it. End of story. I, I think it's people who have to witness it because you have to have witnesses. Yes, right. I think Xander does fall into a point here. It, it, you have to have witnesses witness the execution. So they're trying exactly. to make it at least gory for them. Not that it's more, less humane for a guy to be shot in the head than to be electrocuted, because electrocution, you burn first before you actually die. I think it's for the people actually who have to witness it that they're more worried about, which is ridiculous. All right, well, let me see right. what the ladies think here. Claire, um, one, I'm I'm pretty sure you're against capital punishment, but two, do you, even being against capital punishment, do you see a distinction between the gas chamber and a bullet to the head? Is one more humane than the other, or is it all in the same pot to you? I'm, I am against it. I'm against capital punishment because I don't think that death is a punishment. Um, and, um, uh, you know, people can argue with me about that all they want to, but uh, a person who does that kind of crime, uh, what that guy did to the little girls, and I'm talking as a person who has been a victim of sexual abuse and I've been raped, and um, uh, the person who did that to me still walks on... You know, he's free. He didn't get punished at all. Do they um, have capital punishment in Germany? I just they want don't. To kind of... It's against okay. the law here. Of course it is, because after the Second World War, you know, they had to tell those Germans to quit killing people because Germans, they killed a lot of people in the Second World War. Yeah, I can't War. imagine them having a gas chamber in Ger- in Germany. And no, they're not bad... going to go with the yeah, gas they... chamber. No, they're kind of like, you know, like, no, we don't want a gas chamber. Although recently some people have suggested they should open them back up. But that's another story. Um, the capital punishment, I'm against it. If, if someone does that, they should have to suffer their life long. Um, they should be suffering like the victims. Um, one of them died, yes, in this case the little girl did get killed, and it's horrible. Her suffering is, thank God, it's over. But if we can say her suffering is over in death, and then we're going to kill the guy who did it, his suffering's over in death, too. That's so, I mean, do you understand what I'm point. saying? So he should be I, I able to be, you, he should have to, he should have to suffer. I don't care if they cut his balls off uh, an inch year by year or whatever they're going to do with him in that Whoa. area. Well, I mean, he should have Claire, to suffer. No, 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 wait. Because that sounds violent, and, and I know that people won't expect that from me because I'm pretty anti-violent. But in that case, knowing how I have suffered through my life because of what happened to me, is knowing that and how I will continue to suffer until the day I die, 
um, because of what happened to me. Um, yeah, I'm in, I'm down with it. I think we should torture the motherfuckers. I'm sorry. All right, Xander and Dwayne. Um, does this kind of change your opinion a little bit? Are they getting off easy by just taking them and sticking them in the gas chamber and that's it, game over? Should they be held to the same standard that Claire just talked about? I think I think Claire has a point. See, to me personally, okay, we can't allow torture because, you know, all the lefties and the PC crowd, you can't allow torture, which surprises me that Claire, actually, I'm, I agree with her on this. If it were my world, if, it, if I were a ruler of the world, People who torture and rape and kill yeah, young children. Yeah, figuring out how to go to bars if you were the ruler right. of the world. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, people who torture or murder or, and, and do that to people, they should get exactly what they gave their victim until the day they die. I do believe death is an easy escape. Guys who spend life on death row, they say, suffer more mentally than the person who gets the gas chamber or whatever. So being that we're not allowed to do that torture or put them in an arena like gladiators and have lions eat them alive, then the death penalty to me is the next best option. But I do agree. If we could actually torture and do what Claire said to rapists and, and torturers like that, I would be all for that. And, until somebody falsely accuses you and your case gets you have, all screwed up. It has you have, to be, yeah, well, wait, wait. You have to, you have to realize that you have to realize, though, that um, there has to be some way there has to be some real strong evidence against somebody yeah. to be able to torture. And you have to realize, or you've signed into a fetish studio, that's also torturing, but you've asked for it. But at any rate, you, you, you have to realize that that's got to be, and that's almost impossible. I realize that, and I'm speaking emotionally when I say this, uh, when I talk about torturing rapists and stuff of children. But I'm going to tell you, you, you guys uh you have to realize the suffering that goes on mentally from a person who's who's had it happen. And um, in most cases, you know, in most rape cases, um, you know, that is not the case that the, that the child <laughs> has falsely accused a man of doing, or a man or a woman, as the case may be, of abusing them. It's... If, if you've got, like, an okay, eight-year-old and they're not over. a virgin anymore, then something has happened um, to them. And also about the bullet versus the gas chamber, you know, killing is killing. So I think it's always great when in America, like, we're all like, those people in Saudi Arabia are, are they're, they're cutting people's heads off in public, and ISIS, they're cutting people, oh, my God, they're torturing, they're doing this and that. And then in America, we have the death penalty. And then I'm thinking, what's the difference? All right, Fern, let me throw this over to you, um, because there's a lot of stuff being said here. If we go down the road where we do torture, and let's let's talk about something relevant here. I've been seeing my Facebook explode with gleeful stories of Jared from Subway getting his ass beaten to a pulp. In prison, and everybody's like, "Yay, Jared! Are we losing a little bit of our humanity?" Let, let me let me throw it over to Fern Dwayne. Are we losing something in our humanity? Are we giving up something when we all become a mob and go, "Yeah, yeah, Jared! I, I hope they cut his penis off and stick it in his mouth and they beat him every day for a hundred years." Like, are we losing something if we do that, or does the no. prick have it coming and we should all say hurrah? We are actually, I think those people are holding on to their humanity when they say that, and, and I'll tell you why. 
I mean, I don't know how many people on this panel have children, but I have children, and I have one child that is a a girl who is very close in age to that 11-year-old. And I have – this is a very hard story for me to research because the thought of anybody – I mean, doing that to anyone's child, but then I put myself in those shoes. And I'm going to tell you, they better get a hold of them before I do because I have – thought long and hard about how to torture someone for a very, very long time wow, and make it very, very episode. painful. And Dude, this is, this is my kid. I gave this child life. I am responsible for protecting this child. I'm responsible for making this person go out into the world and be productive and put positive and good into this world and be happy. And for somebody to take that away from that little 14-year-old girl and that other 12-year-old girl that he raped, I mean, I'm also a victim of sexual abuse, and I understand what that's like. And for somebody to exercise and be you know their their bully mentality and just take what they want and destroy lives no i don't think it's wrong for people to want jared to get his ass beat absolutely not he preyed on an innocent young child he should have yeah but it's also a little screwed up that the police kind of let him keep doing it until they build his case against him they were kind of like oh well he's only molested nine kids let's wait till he gets 12 so we could really put him away Right, Sandra? I mean, isn't this a little screwed up on the powers that be that let them keep doing it just to build their case and make it ironclad? Well, yeah, it is. And, I mean, and I do echo the sentiments of everybody, you know, that has talked about, like, uh, you know, taking somebody out that, you know, would harm their kid and all that stuff. I don't have kids. I mean, but I I am a very fierce protector of my nieces and nephews. I mean, I do have uh, fur kids, and I'm probably more of a psychopath protector than most parents are about their human children. And um, and so uh, so I do echo the sentiments of what people say. I mean, Jared's a douchebag for for what he did. I mean, and and you know what? It, it wasn't a, it was no surprise that somebody was going to take a shot at him. And they're probably gonna, it's probably going to be continuous, you know. But let's let's be realistic about it. You know, one thing you know in this whole case against him, he's in a fucking minimum security jail. He's not even a maximum security. So I mean, he's he's lucky that's all he got. Is he this, uh, is, if I could just jump in really quick and say that in in um, I have friends um, who were in fe- uh, federal prison who were, had committed felonies. Some of them were in there uh, for much longer than they need to be. It was, and some of them really did their time. Uh, none of them are uh, abused children. Uh, that wasn't the case. But um, I I also had um, it, they told me that that when the when the when people get put in there that have abused children or raped or did something like that to kids that the other inmates pretty much aggravate them and terrorize them and even kill them in a lot of cases when they're in the um because there's like this whole code codex type of thing going on in in prison in the federal prisons and my my one friend whose name's Charles who I mean, it's a whole other show. I mean, we could talk about what happened to him. It was horrible. Um, he was in there, and, uh, yeah, he actually killed a man in prison who had raped and abused children, and he did it. Um, he killed him in the prison and got and ended up staying in prison longer because of it, of course. He got sentenced right. again. And um, the only reason the sentence was mild is because the guy did, um, you know, they, he, you know, he provoked him until he attacked him, and then he killed him, and then he got said it was like self-defense, you know. But there, the guy was in there for for raping the children. Yeah, that's why he was in there. 
There's a right, hey. child molesters in prison. You you are done. I don't, don't. I would not be surprised if Jared does not end up dead before the end of his sentence. Every one of them do usually. All right, well, we're going to move on to something happier. Claire, we got another call coming in, so let me let you go. Um, I know you kind of wanted to talk about what's going on in Germany right now with the rising Nazi movement. I promise we'll get to it next episode. But I want to thank you for calling in. Okay, bye, bye guys. Bye. Bye, bye, Claire. Bye, Claire's, bye, Claire's boobies. I'm sure she appreciates that. All right, we got Lee Camp on the line from Redacted tonight. Lee, what's up? Hey, guys, how's it going? Good man. Yeah, Good. Lee, did you bring your hair, Lee? Did you bring that hair? That that shiny, those locks. Did you bring it with you? Those did long flowing locks to, to the to the phone. No, I left it in my closet. Oh, okay. he does have a beautiful <laughs> manly mane of hair. We always yeah, talk about that his hair mane. on the show. I know because it just flows and it's. Because you have open. no hair, Dwayne. That's why. Let me well, get to Lee real quick. <laughs> Dude, I want to thank you for calling in, but I really want to thank you. Last episode of um, Redacted Tonight, you mentioned one of my new heroes, Vermin Supreme. We had this guy on the show a few weeks ago, and it wasn't even an interview. It was so surreal. And the crazy thing is you talk to Vermin, and he makes more sense than Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if all your listeners know who he is, but he's he's kind of a satirical candidate kind of every year for various political offices. And uh, I can't remember what state's he in again. Oh God, I don't know. Um, it's yeah, it's I, like he travels New around Hampshire. a lot. It's like New Hampshire, Massachusetts, or something. But uh, but uh, he always he wears a boot on his head, and he offers free ponies for anyone who votes for him. And he was allowed into one of the big debates because they allowed all the candidates in, and he got up and dumped uh, like gay. He called it like gay or homosexual glitter on one of the candidates. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, it was awesome. He is. A, I mean. I could talk about Vermin all day, but let me talk about Lee Camp and what's going on. Um, the reason I wanted you to call in is you did a really great piece on Hillary Clinton last episode. I could tell you're not a huge Hillary supporter. I've been getting a lot of shit because I'm a Bernie guy, a Bernie bot, as it's now been phrased. Um, a lot of people have been giving me shit saying, look, if you don't vote for Hillary, if she gets the nomination, then you're voting for Trump. And, and you know, you're basically voting for Trump, so screw you. How do you feel about this? Should you vote your party or should you vote your conscience? Are you giving up something by not voting against someone and and basically throwing away your vote third party? Or should are we supposed to go to those polls and vote our conscience? Well, here's the thing. Uh, for, first of all, I think that Bernie's movement or the things that people believe in that, that Bernie is saying needs to be much bigger than a single man. I'd love to see Bernie get this, but uh, it, it just – the the sentiment and the ideas that that Bernie is speaking out for, people need to keep fighting for whether he wins it or not. So I think that's that's step one. But step two is if you if you believe in these things, if you consider yourself you know a, a, a believing in certain things about our our culture and about Wall Street destroying our our world and about the profit over people, like you want people over profit as opposed to the opposite, and all those things then you are not getting any of that with Hillary Clinton. You are voting for Republican, uh, uh, you know, mainstream Republican ideals. Um, if you look at, if you're, if you're furious about the sheer number of people locked away in our country, the, for largely for drug crimes, nonviolent crimes, that Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton 
are the they 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 created much of that the 1994 yeah. crime bill which Hillary did speak out for and lobbied for like she is behind that Bill Clinton is behind that they are a corporate entity that that is absolutely I mean they would be an absolute 30 40 years ago they would have been a mainstream or even farther right Republican but now our system has been so tilted to the right that they pretend to be Democrats. So voting for her is kind of nonsense if you believe in those things. Now, if you are Republican and you like what Hillary says, then fine, vote for her. Yeah, but is it a good thing that Hillary now is kind of tacking to the left and parroting some of Bernie's talking points to try to become a bigger tent and get people in? Or is this just a complete scam and she's just going to renege the day she takes that oath and gets into office? Oh, yeah, it's all bullshit. I mean, it's all... You you've got to look at someone's actions. You cannot look at the words, especially when they've known people have known she taxed to whichever political side she needs to go to to get elected and to get you know uh, uh, people behind her. And you, I mean, so let's just take for example the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the largest corporate power grab ever devised. It basically just needs to be passed by Congress and signed by the president, and it's a done deal. Uh, the new president, whoever it is, and. And Hillary was for it. Her State Department helped write it. She has said, quoted in the past as saying it's the gold standard of trade deals. And then when it started to become an issue, she hemmed and hawed and said, basically, I am not in favor of what I've learned about it, what it could be, blah, 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 and basically acts like she's slightly maybe kind of against it. But everyone knows that everything she's done in her past, everything she's said, she will sign that the moment she gets into office, and it is the it is it is very much towards a corporate one world government in the sense that corporations don't have to they they supersede our government. They if they decide they want profit in our country and we have environmental laws that don't let them get it, they can sue us in an international tribunal that has nothing to do with our government. It's run by three corporate judges. And that will decide whether they can uh, rape our environment or whatever else. And so it is. It is like basically corporate governance, corporate one-world governance. And and she will sign at the moment she's in office. Let me. I know. You, I know you can't stick around too long. Let me ask you this last question: Do you think this Bernie movement is going to outlive this election cycle, even if he doesn't get the nomination? Has he struck a chord? with the average, hardworking American that's out there and kind of tuned out of politics? Or does this die with him when he goes away after this cycle? Well, that's the big question. I mean, the media wants you to think this is all about personalities. This is all about one-person leaders. And, you know, as we've learned with great leaders in the past who have basically all been assassinated, it can't be about one person. It's got to be about a movement. And so hopefully, no matter what happens with Bernie or Hillary or anything, People on their local levels, their statewide levels, will keep caring about these issues. I mean, if you look at the fucking cool shit that is happening in statewide uh, elections or, or referendums or whatever, you know, legalization of marijuana in Colorado, Iowa was the first to pass gay marriage. If you look at what people do on a local level, on a statewide level, there's some cool-ass stuff going on. I mean, Utah has gotten basically rid of homelessness by giving homeless people apartments because they found out they save money by giving homeless people apartments because they don't have all that the emergency room costs and everything else. So it's like if you look at statewide, it's very cool. And some and on the other hand, there's some very horrible shit going on, like Flint, Michigan, and stuff like that. But 
it, it really needs to be this like you know local and statewide movement that keeps growing to to change this country for the better. And hopefully Bernie's inspired that in people. Hopefully people are learning more than just his name, and they're looking into what a lot of what he stands for. But but you yeah, make a great I mean, point, I, right? Why do people look at Utah and what's going on there, or let's say raising the minimum wage in Oregon, and they poo-poo that, but then they look at Jindal's Louisiana or Brownbacks, Kansas, and at their complete financial fucking disasters, and people yeah. go, yeah, we need more of that. That's that's what I'm on board with. Why do I don't understand why the average middle class person clings to that. Right. And and you know, when we were created as a country, part of the idea was on a statewide level we would be a testing ground, an experimentation ground, and states would pick up what was working and drop what wasn't working and uh if you look at what's not working, it is like, for example, the whole emergency manager idea that has caused the Flint crisis, that has poisoned children in Flint, Michigan. Michigan put in these undemocratic, unelected emergency managers that have destroyed cities, and that is an example of something in the state that's not working. So don't do it other places. Now, if you look at the things that are working, like getting rid of homelessness, that should then spread to other states. And so in a way, this is a way that the left and right can come together, because most of the right is for, quote-unquote, states' rights. Well, this is a way that you could, you, you, we could come together on this, because, uh, you know, like Monsanto, the Dark Act, which would have taken away states' rights to label food and would have made Vermont uh, GMO labeling uh, illegal and, and illegal across the country, uh, lost that in the Senate barely this past week, 48 to 49. And so for now, we still have the state's right to label your own food. But people have to keep fighting for this. Do you think Monsanto's going to give up now? No. Next week, they're going to come up with a new version of it and try and pass that. Yeah, so true. All right, Lee, I want to thank you for taking time out. I know you're incredibly busy. Why don't you tell everybody what you're working on and where everyone can find you? Hey, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, the show's called Redacted Tonight. It airs every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern on RT America, but it's all also online. So you can watch it on YouTube.com slash Redacted Tonight. I also have a new interview TV show called Redacted VIP. Uh, I just interviewed Jesse Ventura, Kelly Carlin, George Carlin's daughter, uh, Peter Joseph this coming upcoming week, and that's all also at YouTube.com slash Redacted Tonight. And Very don't forget, nice. if you want to see some amazing flowing locks, flowing locks, you have right. to watch Redacted tonight because <laughs> Lee has some of the most amazing hair what, for man on, what, that I've ever for, seen. Since this is since this is you know radio, people might not know you're talking just about pubic hair. I want you to go there, but no, <laughs> you got me. <laughs> okay, this is taking a very dark turn. Oh, All right, done. Lee, thanks for calling in. I'll be in touch. Thanks, man. All right, Xander, you're with us for a few more minutes. Um, you heard us mix it up there. What do you think about what me and Lee were talking about? Uh, I know that you said you lean more to the right. Do you find mm-hmm. that? And, and, and like I said, it is surprising to me when you see these policies, when you see Scott Walker states in a financial mess, Bobby Jindal states in a financial mess, Sam Brownback states in a financial mess. Um, Mike Pence's state, Indiana, they've got all kinds of problems. And people keep saying, we need more of that. The problem is we don't have enough of trickle-down economics. We don't have enough of deregulation. It always blows my mind. So I know you can't be too far right when it comes 
socially, right? I'm assuming you're not against gay marriage or legalization. So if you're not against it culturally, what do you find appealing about um, right-wing economics? Because it doesn't seem to be working on a local level. Well, I mean, you know what? I'm not educated enough on that. I don't think I've really studied that as much or I've paid attention as much because the states that I've lived in usually – um, you know, tend to not have the problems with some of these other states. And, yes, I, I do see that those uh, uh, those states will have, you know, I guess, you know, a bad turn here and there and some, some bad policies. But, you know, when you're, I think you're kind of shedding light on some things that, like Scott Walker, who pissed off a lot of union people and all that kind of stuff at one time, um, you know, had done. But at the same time, I mean, you know, is, is California, like the, the, the liberal mecca of, of the United States, that's a Are good they point. Any better? Are, I mean, thank you. Why, I just posted why, that in those, those commercials. Those commercials I see for like you know visit California. They fucked up so bad being fifty six billion dollars in the in the shitter that they want people to come out to California and spend their tourist money. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, if if you don't have the common sense to realize that's a sham, then I mean, I fuck off. But I would have to say California is a thing unto itself because California, I think, is like the fifth or sixth largest economy. The state is the largest, sixth right. or se- fifth or sixth largest economy in the world. They they are so broken up. They actually want to break off into two or three different states. So let's put California right. aside and that. talk about Illinois because the way you did make a point with Illinois that Ew. I can't really argue with. Illinois. They were I'm so not broke, doing they, the couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't pay. They could not. It's so ill annoys me. That's Illinois. Um, they could not even pay their lottery winners, and they have been democratically controlled for the last billion years. You have Chicago and East St. Louis controlling that space, and they are broke. They're closing down state parks daily. They can't even. One state park I used to go fishing. The roads were closed for two or three years because they could not afford groundkeepers to, to take the trees that had fallen down from the storm off the road. And when volunteer groups wanted to come in and take care of the trails and the roads, the unions came out and said, no, you can't do this because it has to be done by a union employee. That's how jacked up Illinois is, and it's been democratically run forever. So we can't just say, well, these right-wing states are broke. Yeah, they may be messed up, but none of them are like Illinois in California and all these other in, in Detroit, yeah, in but it's also true. Like forty-eight of the top, like uh, not even a well, top's probably the wrong word. Forty-eight of the poorest counties out of fifty of the poorest counties in the United States are red states. Alabama, Missouri, Arkansas—all of these states are high um, public assistance states. Very, their revenues all messed up. Their economies all messed up. And we know now, and even you agree with me, Dwayne, trickle-down economics does not work. You don't just keep cutting and cutting at the top and hope our corporate overlords and billionaires rain down their benevolence on us. That does not work. That's why I want a flat, fair tax system for individuals and corporations, because I do agree that trickle-down, it doesn't work as it is planned because of the greedy few that are at the top. But I'm voting for you again. I'm voting for you again. Um, Xander, I, I, I know you got to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for calling in. Like I said, I had you on the music show. I thought we were just going to talk about guitars and your music, but you had so much more to say. I had to get you in here on Sunday to talk politics. Why don't you tell everybody where they can oh, find you, what you're working on? Because I know you've got um, 
your movie coming out, not your movie, but your part of, what's the name of it again? I don't have it handy here. It's called uh, Hair I Go Again. Hair I Go Again, there you go. Yep. <laughs> Story of a hair metal band, kind of getting a second shot. And where can oh, everyone find you? Uh, you broke up. breaking up. Sorry about that. I can't. Yep, sorry about that. Um, you can find it at hereigoagain.com. You can find me at xanderdemus.com, X-A-N-D-E-R-D-E-M-O-S. And I'm on Facebook, and I think uh, Dwayne just sent me a friend request. So we're just going to sit there and talk about you guys for the next couple of days. Of course you are. Everyone does. <laughs> but huge, I am Don't a huge become a terrorist, though. And I just learned, I'm learning to play the bass in one of my favorite songs, our same old situation by Motley Crue. I've actually got most of that down. So I'm 42 nice. years old, just learning to play the bass. So I'm a big hair guy, too. <laughs> nice. Never too I old. I look forward to seeing that. Awesome. Thank you so much for to seeing that. Guys. All right, we got Brent McKay on the line. Brent, you with us? I'm right here, man. Right on, man. It is good to hear from you. It's been a while since we've had you on. It has been a minute, bro. It has been a I few will minutes. say this, and I don't know if this is on your radar. We we do the Kettle of Fish show. We've had William Sanderson on there. We've had Jamie Farr on there. And I'm not I, – I, I probably even shouldn't say this, but it's amazing to me. Your show where you talk about your experience that Halloween as a kid is still the highest downloaded episode of Kettle of Fish that we have. Really? Yeah. People love that people, episode. People they love, love to hear childhood your pain. People, yes, your humiliation. <laughs> yes. Yes. People love right. hearing about children getting their dreams crushed. That what can I say? That's that's all it is. Nice. D, um, why don't you kinda of wrap up what we've been talking about today because you haven't got much of a chance to speak and then I'll throw it over to Fern. And throw out the phone number two, D, if you don't mind. Yeah, good of call. Of course. Our number here is 646-478-3554. And really, I mean, it's, I don't know. I'm starting to get a little, maybe a lot, um, just exhausted by the whole thing because, you know, especially because it is election year and you've got these um, these candidates going at each other and it just, it's, it, it's made everything such an argument and such a fight. And, um, well, Nick knows last night it's, it's leaching into my college studies, people. Oh, um, you shut it down. That was great. <laughs> it did. So, uh, uh, you know, and it, and it is, it's a systemic problem. It, it's, we are having this thing now where every single thing that we see and do is becoming an argument and a discussion and a fight when it should be just like, you know what? why don't we just think about what's better for everybody? And I saw a video on it earlier this morning. It's one of those videos, you know, that says, hey, this is the size of Earth, and this is the size of the the, the continent we're on, and let's compare that to Jupiter, and then the sun, and the moon, and then the galaxy, and then the universe, and what we can actually see of the universe, and how big we actually think it is, and it, it just makes it so that, God, here oh, we boy. are fighting about piddly little ass problems about, yes. oh, you know, if, if it really even matters that Donald Trump's hair is actually a mind-controlling alien gerbil from out of space or, <laughs> or you know. I watched that movie. It, it just, 
<laughs> oh, you You're watching it now. Let me throw this over to <laughs> yeah. Fern. Fern, what happened to the free exchange of ideas? What happened? I mean, Xander said it himself, and I mean, that's not the um, approach I would take. Like, hey, where do you want to meet me so I can knock your teeth out if you threaten me? But this is like, and I think Donald Trump fuels a lot of this with his Trump train. I think his Trump train is pushing all of this. What happened to the free exchange of ideas? I mean, I still think – I don't think Xander is uh, not willing to have a free exchange of ideas just because he said that. I actually agree with him. You know, if you're going to have an issue with me over my political preference or my religion or, you know, what I prefer to eat for breakfast, if I eat an omelet instead of French toast and, and threaten me about it, like that's just – I don't have room in my life to surround myself with people like that. I mean, if you want to have a discussion with me, have a discussion with me, but when your go-to is to threaten bodily harm – then that's, this is just not but, the type of personality that I want to engage with. And A up the ante, where does that get you? Because nobody's going to actually go meet on the street and fight over a Facebook post. Well, and that's that's the thing. And and he probably would. He'd probably say, you know what, if yeah, you want to kick my ass, I'll give you the opportunity. But most people would back down. And that goes back to the, I just want to be a bully when I feel I can put my thumb mm-hmm. on somebody. But when you actually call my ass into check, I'm going to back down. And most people are like that. I mean, hell, we saw it here, you know, with a friend of ours. So it's it's a matter of being open to a different opinion without being angry. I think people are just so used to being attacked for having a different opinion that that's their go-to as a defense mechanism to automatically push back, and it doesn't have to be like that. I can disagree with you and still like you. Um, you know, you and I see eye to eye on a lot of things, but we also don't see eye to eye on a few things. So oh, we've had up. many round discussions where we just aren't going to agree. <laughs> well, well, let, let me, me start 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 start. Start. Shut up. <laughs> I want to hit Brent real quick because I got one more subject I want to talk about, and we got 20 minutes left before kettle of fish. Brent, has the political climate changed your comedy at all, or has it changed the comedy community? When you go out there, are people like more apprehensive about talking about hot topics because somebody might throw a fucking plate of chicken wings at their head in the middle of their stand-up routine? Or does that, are you guys immune from all that because it is comedy? You know what, man? Like you gotta. I think I think if you're gonna do political stuff, you gotta tread carefully. Um, I think the the people who are good, the people who are like good at comedy and like making a living at it, they don't give a fuck. They'll they'll. Because they, they're coming from they're coming from a, a, a perspective just like everything. They're coming from a perspective where even even though they they might be bashing somebody or even though they might have a very strong opinion one way, they know how to to put their perspective in a place where at the end of the joke it's almost like oh but this guy's a fucking idiot comedian like he you know what the fuck does he know? It, it's kind of like that. You're playing a gentle game. With, with well, you almost sound like you, a jester, the way you're describing it. <laughs> that's, exa- that's exactly what you have to be, though. Well, I mean, if you're a comedian that's likable, that's what you have to be. And that's a lot of the comedi- that, That's a lot of the working comedians are people that are likable and can say these things and just happen. You know, they have the, they have the, it, it's a wire act. It, the stronger opinion that you have on something in comedy, the more you have to reinforce uh, uh like you, the more you have to reinforce that idea that hey, I'm just doing comedy here. Don't get so fucking upset because if you lose the audience and you completely lose them, then that's then that's it. You you've lost the audience. You can you can tease the audience and get them off your side, but then bring them back. But you can't completely lose the audience. You can't just 
can't just go up and be like, oh, fuck anybody who, you know, who likes Bernie Sanders or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, there has to be something on the on the other side of it. The way now, bad comedians mean? won't understand yeah, like that, and they will just kind of... Well, I'm sorry, what's, what's, it, what's going on? It's, it's like how Comicus lost the seizure in the movie History of the World Part 1 when uh, Mel Brooks was up there talking about the Senate and then talking about Caesar being fat, how he lost the audience, and he ended up go, what was going to be a gladiator. The, the, uh, they just threw him out to the wolves, basically. I mean, he, he showed a good political point there. You don't talk politics seriously in front of your, your audience either way because it can kill you. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's an extreme example, but yeah, you you uh, you don't want to you don't want to just go up there and be preachy. Is 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 the point I get? If if it's funny, people will laugh, you know. But it for it to be funny, it, it has to have a slant. It has to have something funny that that's going on. It can't just be. Hey, I think that you were an idiot for this and that and this and that. It, it, it yeah, can't just be that, or else. You. Have you ever pulled back because of the crowd? Have you ever had a bit or something in your set that you were passionate about and it just didn't go over with the crowd because it was a heated topic? Not because it was you didn't feel like it was a good joke or a good monologue, but because it was a heated topic and you're like, I can't do this because the crowd is sending me a vibe that I can't do this. Um, yeah, there, there are certain jokes that I've done, but I don't think that it was because it was a heated topic. I think it was just because... I realized ultimately it wasn't funny. I think that the more heated topic that it is, the funnier it has to be. Like, you know, like there there's there's millions of of open mic comics who are are going to do like a like a like a child molestation or like a rape joke or something. And it's like if you're going to tackle something that heated, that sensitive, you know, or like the Holocaust or some shit, if you're going to tackle something like that, it better be really fucking funny or else you're just going to get fuck it you know what i mean like and and a lot of people don't understand that when they're first starting out they want to they want to go and be edgy and be this or that you know what i mean like they want to be like their favorite comedians they want to be like Louis CK who can talk about seemingly almost anything and and get away with it but that's because he yeah. understands how to make it really fucking funny before he even so, decides to tackle it, has to be right. Like, like it, ha- mm-hmm. it has to be like just pee your pants funny if it's going to be that. Like when you're starting out, like I, I know what you mean. I've heard a lot of like beginner comics, and they'll try to be like right there and all. Oh my gosh, you know, and whatever. But it's they're just not. It's not funny enough. It's like so you're, you're not saying funny. You're just trying to be edgy for edgy's sake. But it has to be funny, like pee or pee. It has funny. to have something underneath, like yeah, wanna, or or else, yeah, is, or else you just saying something really terrible. Wow. So you're yeah, saying, I never if, even if I started, started as a, if I if I start as a comic, I'm starting out, and I come out and say, so six million Jews walk into a shower. That's not a good start. Then is what you're basically saying. <laughs> no, probably <laughs> not. not. Probably okay. not. Remind um, me to know well, a comedy my... show. All right, listen, guys. I'll scratch that from my list. <laughs> I don't want to go down the rabbit hole too long. it depends on what show you go to. <laughs> yeah, right? If you're doing a white power mixer, you'll go over like gangbusters. Right. <laughs> All right, let me get to this last thing. we got 15 minutes. I've got to touch on this because I know Dwayne's going to have a varying opinion from us. Donald Trump made a statement, and a lot of Republicans as well as Democrats are chiding him for it. Um, he was talking about this idea that's floating around about a brokered convention, and his quote was, 
I think we'll win before getting to convention. But I could, I could tell you, I could like Tony Soprano. I could tell you if we didn't get it and we're twenty votes short or a hundred votes short or a thousand vote, eleven hundred votes short, and someone else has five or four hundred because we're way ahead of everybody. I think you're gonna have riots. I think you would see the problems like you've never seen before. I think bad things would happen. I really do. I wouldn't lead it, but I think bad things would happen. Now, there's two ways to kind of process this. One way is there's a little bit of, hey, you got a great country here. I hate to see something happen to it. And he's kind of putting out the vibe. If they go to broker convention, go burn some shit down. And then the other side of it is, hey, I'm just I'm just telling you reality. I'm telling you how I see it. I really think that if this goes to broker convention, my supporters are so passionate, they're going to start rioting in the street. Like he's just kind of making a declarative statement in one point of view, but in the other point of view, he's kind of poking the bear and saying, oh, well, you know, maybe you guys should riot if I get fucked out of this nomination. Brent, how are you kind of quantifying this in your head? Is Trump sending out kind of a wink and a nod? Let's take it to the streets if I get screwed out of this nomination. Or is he just making a declarative statement? This is what I think is going to happen. I think he's making a declarative statement. And I think that there's a better way that he could have said it that made it, that would have made it a, 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 little, a little bit better. But I think that what we've noticed from him is that he is a blunt motherfucker and he will just come out and say whatever it is he's going to say. And it doesn't always come out right, but I I I think that 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 might be where we are. I, I I think, in my opinion, he is he was like, oh, I gotta get this point across. I don't want this shit to happen. And then it came out kind of like this weird veiled threat. Um, is it coming my, out that way because he doesn't know how to speak? He doesn't understand the resonance of his words, or is it he just doesn't give a shit? He just talks. He has no lobby between his brain and his mouth, and stuff just flies out of his mouth without any kind of um, forethought <laughs> about the consequence. Because it just seems like he's just like some punk rocker on the mic at a punk rock show. Like he's just saying shit. Diarrhea of the mouth. Yeah, I, honestly, I gotta say, I think it's both. It's just he doesn't have that capacity of of um, what is the word? He's too, he's too blunt. He's too blunt. And he, 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 it's, there is no, it, it seems like there's no filter between his brain and his mouth, and it just kind of just comes out. But I think, honestly, that's why people like him. If I'm being, if... Exactly. I think that's why people like him, is be, like he's, you know, he, I don't know if you have this, but I have an Asian grandma. You definitely don't have an Asian grandma, but... Are you sure? That's pretty racist. How do you know I don't have an Asian grandma? <laughs> I, have a Hispanic, I had a Hispanic grandma, yeah. You okay. you can you can buy them on eBay I hear for really cheap so you know you there might be more people with Asian grandmas than you might expect. Yeah, they're running there great deals. It's, uh, it's it's choose your own offer, but uh, <laughs> the, the, the market's low. Um, so I, she's blunt. My grandma is blunt. If I gain weight, she will just be like, "Oh, you gained weight. You're drinking too much beer." She will just say whatever. She doesn't have that fucking filter because she's from a time period where that filter didn't exist, I guess, or whatever. But she, or she's just old and she's just like, I'm just going to say, I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to say what the truth is. And everybody fucking loves her for that. I love her for that. She is adorable. 
She's awesome. She just because she's so blunt, she's so honest. It's Dude, so you have nailed it. I think Trump's new campaign slogan should be "Vote Trump." He's just like Brent Mackay's Asian grandma. Yeah. I think he would annihilate <laughs> the field if he had that kind of campaign slogan. Fern, let me tell you what I've derived from the Donald Trump phenomena, especially how he manipulates the media. Donald Trump reminds me of some local no-name rapper that puts Eminem in his raps. Because he knows Eminem's <laughs> going to be like, oh, you called me an asshole? I'm going to do like six albums about how bad you suck. And then he gets famous because Eminem does six albums about how bad he sucks. And he has no <laughs> fucking talent. Isn't this how he's playing the media? He's like, I'm just going to go crazy and say everything sucks. Megan Kelly's a dumbass. And then all of a sudden, everybody has to comment on it and fight back. So Donald Trump is running the room on literally zero talent, right? Um, well, I, I, I don't know that it's zero talent. I would say it's zero qualifications. But Thank you. That's he's very talented better. to manipulate the media that way. And if we really think about it, I mean, he's spent very little in his campaign because he's been able to manipulate the media and get all the attention without spending a dime. And it, it doesn't matter what he does, no matter how horrible it comes out. Time, it seems like every time something comes out about him, it just gets a little worse and a little worse and a little worse. But yet... He's He's got his cemented followers, and now he's gaining speed. And it's really hard for me to wrap my brain around it, but I actually think he's smart to utilize that. I think yeah, it's kind of shady. was a better term. And, okay, let me get Michelle in here from Nashville because we do have a call. We only have a Michael. Uh, oh, Michael, I'm sorry. Michael, what's yeah, up? Yeah, you Nashville, thank you right. for calling in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I just wanted to say that I, I used to be a uh, – Ben Carson uh, and uh, Ted Cruz supporter are now totally on board with Trump, and I just think that at this point he's the only good candidate we have left. Thank well, let you. me ask you this, because I'm, you know, our opinions here on the panel vary from person to person. The thing that's unsettling about Trump to me is these statements that he makes that are absolute. When he says, "Hey, waterboarding, you ain't seen the tip of the iceberg," and bombing families of terrorists, yeah, we're doing that. And then you've got military generals, guys who have served with honor for their whole life, 30, 40 years, and they say, we're going to belay that order. We're not going to follow an illegal order from Donald Trump. And he gets up in a debate and says, you're going to follow my orders. I'm Donald Trump. You're going to do what I say. There's not a little bit of scary Mussolini in that, even if it is bravado. That doesn't kind of scare you. No, not at all. I mean, knowing that, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I mean, the military does those things anyway. It's just that the general public is unaware of that. So, you know, he's just saying what they otherwise do, and they just, you know, they go on the media to save face for the general public. That's just, you know, basically ignorant exactly. of what the military does. Exactly. The current military generals who are in charge are handpicked by the current commander-in-chief. So, of course, they're right. going to go against whatever Donald Trump says because they're picked by Obama. Okay, but let me let me ask Michael this then. What happens if these generals belay an order? What should Donald Trump's response be? Should he lock them up? Should he end their 40-year career and their 40 years of service to our country because they don't want to go kill the children of terrorists? No, again, I mean, this is a, I think people need to understand that things like waterboarding, all type of um, you know torture things, bombing certain areas, these things happen regardless of what the public thinks or cares. The, you and I's opinion of the matter is irrelevant. That's just something that the media throws out there, but the fact of the matter, they do it anyway because it's a necessary evil if you try to you know, maintain security and fight 
certain groups. So that's a non-issue if you really think about it. I mean, the generals we know make, what they have to do. And that's yes. It. Go ahead, Dwayne. I know you 50, want to get in there. We, we maintain 50 black sites across the world. A lot of them are in Poland, Romania, places like that, where the Geneva Convention doesn't fall in. And they that's where they send all the people we actually torture, but they're not on U.S. soil. And you don't know about it, Nick, but they do do that. They send them over. I'm going to let you go to the I have no doubt. Uh, Michael, get in your last words here because we've got to cut the kettle of fish. But kind of sum this up. Have you been listening to this whole episode? What do you think about what you're hearing? Yeah, no, I agree on certain points and, uh, you know, obviously disagree on others. I'll, I'll just end with this. The reason that I'm going along to Trump is that ultimately the man is not backed by special interest groups and lobbyists. And those are our enemies. And like the old saying goes, the enemy of your enemy is your friend. And so those people yeah. are undermining our interests, and those people are against him. It says a lot about where he stands, and if he could actually be beneficial to our country, especially considering how corporations are dominating things. So something to think about. So you feel betrayed by the Republican Party, then? Oh, absolutely, yeah. All right, Agreed. fair enough. Agreed. Good Hi, call, Michael. Michael. I want to thank you for calling in. we got to move to Kettle of Fish, but thank you very much for being a listener and calling into the show. All right, great, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. All right, Brent, what do you think? Um, is Donald Trump the guy who is – and I know Dwayne kicked me some crazy Illuminati, Rothschild, and four other families control the world, and Donald Trump is the only one who could save us from the evil cabal. Where do you fall on the whole Trump um, phenomena, Brent? Uh, man, that is, that's a tough question. I, I, we I ask mean, the tough I, questions I, here, Brent. That's what we, we do. We ask the tough questions. What do you think of this guy? Oh, that's too hard. Um, he is. He, it's it's insane to see how far he's come and and where he is right now. Um, in turn, I, I I just I can't see him winning, and I I I personally am probably not going to vote for him. Honestly, I I, just, I can't wrap my brain around how he's gotten this far, and it, it's I, it's probably due to my lack. Of understanding politically, you gotta understand. I'm not like a political comic. I'm not that dude with super strong opinions. Um, tr- Trump seems like uh, it, he seems ridiculous when he gets on TV and he talks. And if you just watched, if you just isolated any clip from any part of any of his speeches, it just seems like he's crazy. And it, it, it's. I don't know. That that's my opinion. It, it, he doesn't he doesn't seem like he's fit to be the one to lead. I don't think he has the tact for it. I don't think that he has uh, any of those things. But I mean, who, who knows? I mean, you know, he, he's gaining. Maybe speed America wants support. crazy right now, right? Maybe that's what we want. Maybe we want America to be a reality show. Maybe reality shows have become more reality than our fucking reality. <laughs> That would be oh my god! They if he gets into office, that would be like a reality TV show. It's like Trump in the mm-hmm. Oval Office, Trump the Oval around. Office on TLC. The Oval Office with Donald <laughs> Trump on TLC. Frightening. Dude, I can't Those imagine what his cabinet would look like. All right, Brent, tell everybody what you're working on and where we can find you because we got to move on here. You can find me at brentmukai.com. That's B-R-E-N-T-M-U-K-A-I.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Brent Mukai. Um, right now I'm I'm doing comedy shows out in Vegas, so if you come to Vegas, look me up. Um, 
first week of April, I'm doing uh, Las Vegas Live and Planet Hollywood Theater. And uh, the last week of April, I am doing uh, Jokesters in Bally's Casino. So uh, look me up nice. if you're coming to town. And, and, to and Brett, you. feel free to use my six million Jew joke. Uh, joke. Feel <laughs> free to use it. Let me know how it goes. You're opening. And I've lost a lot of money at Bally's, by the way. Have you? Yeah. Okay. But, uh, well, that next time you lose money watching me. Yeah, my roulette um, strategy. Now I'm the man. That roulette strategy, man. That game's on point. Yeah, when I come that out to Vegas, the, I'll show it to you. That okay, is the worst good. game for a gambler to play as roulette. The odds are the hardest for Gambler. Uh, have have I nailed roulette? Do I have new roulette down to a fucking science? Saucy does have roulette down to a fucking science. The only thing is, you can't get greedy, you can't get impatient, you have to sit there and just grind it out. But it does work. Promise, it works. I've seen All right, friend. More than I once. want to thank you for calling into the show. I'll be in touch. Thank you for having me. Appreciate all right, we got two minutes left. Um, Fern, I'll kind of let you wrap it up because you didn't get to talk a whole lot this episode, surprisingly. No, actually, I'm just sitting here thinking about Donald Trump and the reality show aspect of this, and I'm wondering if the V POTUS is coming out now so that he can choose his vice president, his running mate. Maybe he'll make that a reality show before the election. This is a big joke to him. Like that I, I, you know, I, and I'm harsh. I'm not normally harsh with people, but... The more I hear about this, the more it just it aggravates me. Not people specifically who are supporters, just the whole thing. So another very one, aggravating. Like this Joe Rogan fear factor. Like, hey, eat this bowl of cockroaches, and he could be my VP. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. Dwayne, um, I know you got to go. We got thirty seconds left. What happened to the badger hole or whatever? I thought you were going to do a podcast. Uh, the whole blog talk thing with my computer is messing up, so I am I am mm-hmm. just patiently waiting until the, we get a server. I just I cannot deal with with the issues and whatnot, so it just drive, was driving me nuts. Yeah, you come here every week and deal with the issues. Exactly, that's what I have you for. It's like you do as a friend. <laughs> nice. All right, yeah, have a good day, Dwayne. You too, guys. Have fun. Enjoy. Great. Show. Bye, Dwayne. Before I forget. I do want to remind everybody who's listening now before they hang up and or listeners of the new show that are coming on in just a second. Um, if you go to facebook.com slash KOF show, you can still enter to win our giant mega enormous kettle of fish prize swag container thing that uh, I actually, I think we have to move it to a bigger box really um, because it is kettle of fish. It will have a kettle and fishy things. And we've got autographed stuff from True Blood, and we've got uh, comic CDs, and we've, there's a DVD that we got, and stickers, and yep. there will be candy. All of our previous and guests are sending us all kinds of cool stuff, so definitely go well, on Facebook it, and enter, guys. craziness. Yes, just Alrighty. go to Facebook.com slash click the giveaway tab, and you're there. All right, we'll be off next week for Easter. So everyone have a happy Easter and a good day. Thank you for listening to The Ignorance Equation. Now it is time for Kettle of Fish. This week.
week on Kettle of Fish, comedian Brady Posey stops by to talk about the milkman, the paperboy, and evening TV. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Master Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debate, hate, or argument allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. Alrighty, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show after the show, the talk after the talk, the 20-minute comedy money shot after the two hours of political foreplay. Although we did 90 minutes today. Um, Fern, D, you're still with us. Are you guys ready to get fishy with some Brandy Posey today? Uh, yeah, I keep, so every time I hear the little the little jingle, I keep wanting to be like, hooray! Like, you know, at the same time, because it would be fun. Let your freak flag fly, <laughs> scream hooray. I know, right? It right. makes <laughs> me happy. That's good, because yep. after two hours or 90 minutes today, but usually two hours of us pissing people off, it's good to make people happy, right? And end with some comedy. God, yes. Well, it and technically was two hours things. for me. I was pissing people off a half an hour before we started, so I got my full two oh, hours wow. in today. Nice. There good go. workout. Hi, right, today we've got Brandy Posey on. I love her comedy. She's kind of a nerd comedian. I don't know if that's the accepted terminology. Words, right? Words. We all fight about yes, words. Yes, nerds are good. Right. Nerds but, are worlds. All right, so let me, let me get Brandy in here, and let's kind of talk to her about comedy. And I learned a lot from Brandy, actually, listening to Opinion Cave. Brandy, what's up? Hey guys, doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Hello. Yeah. Hey. Hey, can I you hear me? Thank you. Yeah, you're with us. I want to thank Great. you for calling in. I also want to thank yeah, you no for your comedy because Aww. until I listened to Opinion Cave, I had no idea David Carradine had died at age 72 in a Bangkok hotel of audio erotic fixation. So I can't get that oh, image really? out of my head. I didn't know. I had no idea. <laughs> comedy can be informative oh, that's too, amazing. right? Oh, yeah, I like to teach things and make people stronger, faster, better through my stand-up. That's what I try to do. There you <laughs> so go. Like, Mission accomplished. I got to tell mm-hmm. you, though, like, I listened to that bit, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, what a fucked-up way it is to die. And then I started thinking, mm-hmm. like, do you think when you die, everybody, like, in your afterlife automatically knows your backstory? Like, is David Carradine going for it and going for it croaks? opens his eyes in the afterlife and some random dude, like some chimney sweep from Annabellia area era, like uh-huh. locked up film. And it's like, oh, autoerotic asphyxiation, huh? Me too. We've got a support group that meets on Tuesdays. Cause, like, come join us. <laughs> like, is this how this is going down in the afterlife? Do you think everybody knows all the circumstances of your death when you die? I hope so, because if there is a heaven, there should be no small talk. That would be great if we just never had to be like, so, where are you from <laughs> ever again? That would be that would Right, because right, supposedly <laughs> when you die, you know everything, right? So everybody would know yeah. every horrible thing. It's like the ultimate tabloid, right? Everybody would know every fucking TMZ thing about you. Yeah, I'm good with that. I'm to- I would. I would actually prefer that to having to, like, have those weird, like, awkward get-to-know-you conversations. Because then also you would just know if somebody was a bad conversationalist or not, and then you'd just be like, oh, cool, they sucked at living, I'm just going to walk away. That's fine. Nice. Yeah, and then people would leave me alone to my reading. They'd be like, oh, oh, okay, there's D. No, she hates talking to people, so just, no. 
Yeah, I don't know if I, I would like, like that. I don't know if I'd want to know about. There's certain things about some people that I know that I just really wish I didn't. So I'm not sure if I'd want to know or not. You know? Yeah, some of it would be difficult. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Ooh, I didn't know she liked little boys like that. Ooh, gross. Okay, wow. Well, I probably would. Just, just, <laughs> <laughs> there's something to be said yeah. for full disclosure, though. Hey, um. Brandy, I got to tell you, I always ask the guests, I'm like, hey, what do you want to talk about in addition to your comedy? Because I like to mix it up about current events, current things that are popular, pop pop culture, I guess, would be the Mm -hmm. term. And you're like, hey, let's talk about what a train wreck Fuller House is. I am so dedicated to this show. I fucking suffered through three episodes (laughs) of Fuller House. I couldn't do any more. Twenty minutes. John Stamos made a semen joke, and it was like my own fucking personal crying game. This show is such a fucking nightmare. Did you actually watch all thirteen episodes? Because I got to give you bravo, kudos if you did. Yeah, yeah. You know what I did? My birthday was a week and a half ago, and I was like, "Hey guys, I'm just gonna have Fuller House on, and if you want to come over, and it'll just be on the background, and we can make fun of it together." That'll be the party. We can like hang out, not pay attention to it, kind of pay attention to it, and it's it's that's what I ended up doing. So I have watched all four, 13 episodes. I know the entire arc of the season. It's it's man. <laughs> I was like I was I was talking to some, a friend of mine about it. And I was like I think that it's like it's the television version of the Great Gatsby that we deserve with Donald Trump president. You know what I mean? Like it's like <laughs> this weird this weird look into the past that is just like trying to reclaim something that is making it more grotesque just by looking back at it. And, wow. um, yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's kind of what I thought. <laughs> yeah. You need to become yeah. a yeah, political see, I made, I, yeah, That would be awesome. No, I only made it through like not even a whole episode, but part of that that's was pilot. I just didn't have like time to, and it was just like, okay, I get it. They're trying, I mean, it, it's, it almost reminds me of the new Star Wars in that mm-hmm. they're trying to say, hey, look at this cool thing we did like 50 years ago. See, oh, we yeah. can still do it. We still got it. We still got it. And it's like, no, Grandpa, no. Just just no. No. <laughs> well, it's, well it's just every, everything about it is amazing. Like Joey Gladstone's character, I don't know how much you guys watched the original series, um, but it was like oh, right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, me too. And, like, Joey Gladstone's like, yeah, I live in Vegas, and I work, uh, I do 10 shows a week. I'm bigger than Carrot Top. And I'm like, Joey, your family didn't even think you were funny in the original series. You live in a box down the street. You do not live in Vegas. You have, like, a cardboard box, and you wrote Vegas on it. And, like, that's where you live, and that's where you perform for nobody, for no money. Because he just, like, shows up, and he's like, I'll babysit the kids tonight. And I'm like, you're you're a liar. Your life is so sad. I want that TV show. I want a gritty Joey yeah. Gladstone Louie type show. That's what I'm really interested in. Oh God, I'd love well, that. Well, you bring up a I good point, anyway. right? Because the whole time I'm watching this, I'm mm-hmm. thinking, look, there's there's what five kids or something involved in this. There's all these different personalities. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to turn yeah. out to be a meth head just by the logistics yeah. of it. Doesn't one of these kids have to turn out like turning tricks? For fucking meth. I think all these guys are successful. Their lives. Are, the, the the most pressing problem I know. is like the oldest kid, and I didn't bother to learn her names because I have integrity. But the, the oldest <laughs> kid, like like his her husband died a firefighter or whatever. This yeah. I'm watching this first ten minutes. I'm like, this is like a dentine commercial. Like this isn't even like yeah. a plot. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at their yeah. cold dead eyes. 
And mm-hmm. I was, and the whole time I'm thinking, really, like, damn you, Brandy, why did you do this to me? This yeah. is <laughs> horrifying. This is torture. Oh, I'm obsessed with it. I love it. I th- there's a lot of moments in the show where they reference the Olsen twins like bitterly and like will look directly at them through the camera, and you're like, oh my god, yeah. I'm sorry they made something of themselves. It's just like it's like part horror movie, honestly, and part like so good TV sitcom because it's just like, oh man, everything's just the same. And and then and then you think how how much how different your life has been from when the original show was on until now, and you're like, no, everything's not the same. Things have changed. Why are they still the same? What happened? Is time anything? Like that's where my mind ends up going. I think you're really much it. more into it than the people who wrote it. I think they wrote this script that's, on a yeah. napkin at TGIF Fridays. I mean, that's what happens if you watch if you watch all 13 episodes in a row. Like you, you will go to a dark place than yourself. Like that, that is guaranteed to happen. It's like, yeah, it becomes a full Full House directed by Darren Aronofsky if you watch the whole thing at once because you see yeah. the madness in yourself. <laughs> that won't be happening. I will tell you. Yeah. Um, one thing that was running through my mind when I was watching this, and I know a lot of those actors don't probably have much of a career after Full House. Why do you think John Stamos mm. came back? Because doesn't he have another show on, and isn't he doing pretty well? Grandfathered. Yeah, yeah he has grandfathered. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's like something, that I think honestly it's something that people have always been bugging them to do, and they were just like, fine, we'll do it, and then leave us alone. But... <laughs> You know, that's kind of what I think. Also, he's like a producer on it, so he's getting a lot of money for this. You know, I think. Yeah, but nobody destroys a franchise like Netflix, right? Like, I can't even watch. I've got the first three seasons of Arrested Development on DVD, and ever since I watched season four on Netflix, I've never Uh, put these DVDs in again. Like, they fucking destroyed the franchise. Yeah, that's that's like my Star Wars Phantom Menace is like the fourth episode of of arrested development. I just like to pretend it doesn't yes. happen. I just, uh, no. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, go ahead, Brandon. What? No, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, we have saying, a little bit of a delay. Oh, that's okay, no worries. Uh, I just feel like, I feel like Justin Amos is still friends with Saget and Coulier, and I think he, I think both of them were just like, hey man, we really, uh, we, we could use this. But I think, and I think Stamos is like a good bro. And he was like, "All right, I can I can be Uncle Jesse. Uncle Jesse is like what has gotten me laid for forty twenty years, so that's fine. I can do that again." Nice. Let me ask yeah. you this then, because this is another thing that was going through my mind when I watched the intro. Why this mm-hmm. is creepy to me? Why do they have twins yeah. for the youngest babies? I don't. What is this obsession with them having twins? Is anybody noticing in the thirteen episodes that they need? To have twins playing one, like um, character, like they had in the original with the Olsen twins. Well, it's funny. Yeah, it's fu- yeah, it's funny. Also, there's uh, like not a funny answer, but like there's only a certain number of hours you can have a baby on set, so they always use twins for that kind of thing. That way, you can like have the same baby, but you work it twice as much. Like you know, ah. little little mm. TV thing. That's usually what it is. So I think you can only have a baby on set for like five hours or something. So if they have two babies, then they can actually like get a full day out of out of one character. Yeah, that's pretty fucking diabolical. I don't I don't see yeah. that as being a good thing at all. Fern, did yeah. you watch Fuller House? Because I sent out that we were going to talk about it. Did you end up yes. choking down a couple of these episodes? 
Okay. <laughs> Full disclosure, I tried. I really tried. <laughs> I actually felt physically ill, and about the time I saw New Kids on the Block come out, I was like, that's it, yep. I'm done. I can't. I can't. As soon as New Kids on the Block, they started doing the hanging tough thing, I was done. But, you know, I have to wonder, like, first of all, I've seen Bob Saget's comedy, and mm-hmm. he, he, that just kind of ruined the whole Full House thing for me because yeah. I had no idea that he was so raunchy. I loved it. It was great, mm-hmm. but you just yeah. can't go from – you can't go back to Danny Tanner from that. You just can't. Oh, no, you definitely can't. Also, Danny Tanner in the, in, in the Fuller House show gives zero fucks. Like, he, he just – he's his shirt's always unbuttoned. He's paunchy. He just, like, doesn't care. He, like, yeah. sounds like it gives the least shit in the, the mini Did they address that in the 13 episodes, like why he's not, like, a super neat freak anymore? Because I noticed that in the first three, he wasn't, like, Felix Unger obsessing over, yeah. like, breaking out the Windex every five minutes. Mm-hmm. No, nope, they, they address don't address that? it at all. They never address no, it at all, no. Kind of like this bizarro world, Danny Tanner, that nobody ever talks mm-hmm. about. Yeah, I think I think Danny killed killed somebody, and nobody wants to talk about it, and that's why he doesn't. He like uh-huh. did the ultimate clean job by getting rid of the body, and then he just uh-huh. can't ever clean again. Like that's my theory on him. Like that show Cleaners that's on about people who go up after crime scenes and just clean up for the mob <laughs> or whatever. Maybe he's doing that yeah, on the side. Exactly. That, that makes the show actually more digestible if I think that's what Danny Tanner is doing on the side. <laughs> I might yeah, actually exactly. go back and watch a couple more episodes now that I've created that reality in my head. <laughs> Highly recommend it. There's one episode where Stephanie Tanner DJs at Coachella, and it is highly worth watching because there's a really ridiculous moment right at the very end that's like super serious, and you're like, why didn't we do this? It's really, really oh, amazing. Man. So let me yeah. ask you this, and then we'll wrap up this monstrosity of Fuller House. What kind of <laughs> twisted personalities do you think are watching this, and they actually love it? Not ironically, not like because it's so horrible, but they're like, now this is some good comedy. I love this. We America needs more of this. Do you think anybody's watching oh, this through that filter? I think there's – well, yeah, because I, okay, so I, I looked through the hashtag on Twitter just to be like, what are people saying about Fuller House? Just cause I'm always curious to see, like, who cares enough about something to tweet about it. They just throw their thoughts into the void. And there were some people that were like, I really love the new series. I just wish that there weren't these allusions to sex in it that weren't in the original one. And so it's just there's like – it's like adults that still say the word potty mouth with sincerity. It's like those oh, kind of people. <laughs> You know, the people that have, like, you know, a, a, a woman that has a panic attack, she thinks about the word orgasm. Like, she loves Fuller House. Like, you know, a, a guy that just, like, calls his wife mother. You know, like, those kind of people, they love Fuller House. I think. Mm, yeah, I know a couple of those. And mm-hmm. they're like, Shucky Darn! <gasps> oh, yeah. I'm so sorry! It's like, really? Because I, yeah, I can't hard say words in my sleep. Wrap around that. Okay. Let me move on to opinion cave because one thing you said in that that really struck with me, and, and I've been doing uh-huh. politics. I've been doing a political show for three years, blogging for five years. Mm-hmm. I write for a political news site. I think the best mm-hmm. political metaphor, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the show. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. But the best uh-huh. political metaphor I've ever heard in my life is a two-party system <laughs> is like the Quaid brothers. And I was like, oh, my God, she fucking nailed it. I wish I could steal it because that sums it up. And, and you don't really – you're not a political comedian, but you kind of skirt around the edges of politics. And when you do, you nail it. Why are you not doing more politically, politically driven comedy 
because we are in that era where now everybody, people who've never even paid attention yeah. to politics, are watching the reality show called like 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like I do a lot. I mean, I guess I, t- I tend to look at like I do- I try not to like use the words like Democrats and Republicans too often in jokes. I try to look at like more big picture topics from my point of view and try to like deconstruct them from that that way. Um, I mean, also I think just like you know sometimes just being a woman with a microphone is inherently pretty political to a lot of people in this country just in general. So, right. you know, it's, um, I, I try to, like, I, I try to make the, to be very political and have a stance about and try to make people rethink their positions on stuff that is really important to me. Um, and that's that's kind of, like, where I've always approached comedy from, you know. And I also just, like, you know, if if I have, like, a good political, you know, if, if, if there is something that I, just, that I feel strongly about that I really want write, to write on, I mean, I've definitely been, like, you know, roasting the current process a little bit. <laughs> on stage in LA because right. it's ridiculous because um, everybody just has to because it's just just makes one take a nap <laughs> makes one take a nap and wake up in Sweden <laughs> absolutely and you know I was surprised when you gave me your number and I was like four a four one zero this is a Baltimore area code and I'm yeah. from Waldorf spent a lot of time oh, in nice. Baltimore yeah well, I don't know That's how awesome. nice it is but um, well, you know, grew up going. <laughs> Baltimore all the time. It was the highest <laughs> murder rate in the country for yep. years. Politically mm-hmm. charged city, you know, right down the street oh, yeah. from D.C. How are you escaping mm-hmm. the gravity of politics in your comedy when you see something, get pissed off? How are you not doing a whole set on it? Because like, if I had that kind of power, <laughs> I would just be going full <laughs> frontal, like a turbo action on the mic. I mean, I definitely, I definitely do sometimes, depending depending on it. I mean, like you know, see, seeing new eyes is different from the album. Like my, my first album was, I mean, not I do a lot of the same jokes, but that first album was kind of like, hey, here's here's who I am across the board. I want to give everybody a little bit something, but also kind of just like you know, I I I, I didn't want my first album to be a fully political album. Um, I mean, also like you know, I kind of grew up right between Baltimore and DC, so just like being immersed. In all of it, like every everybody that I know has at least one spy in their family. But that's just like where I grew up. Everybody has somebody that works for the NSA or the Pentagon or something. Yeah. I was, yeah. My next door neighbor growing up, he was one of the president's own secret service guys, and I was just like, oh, cool, that that guy over there that like tells us to keep it down and doesn't want my friends loitering in his yard. He's going to take a bullet for the president someday. Okay. So I guess politics has just always been like such like a personal part of my life. Whenever I do talk about something political, I don't really view it as politics so much as just like a something that happens that is part of life to me. I guess. No, it's it's kind of encoded on your DNA. Mm-hmm. So it's not what you talk yeah. about, it's who you are is what you kinda of feel like. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Nice. Um, Fern, mm-hmm. D, I don't want to monopolize the conversation here. We've only got a few minutes left if you guys want to chime in. Good, Fern. Fern, D? D oh, you cool? Okay. Um yeah, no. Um I <laughs> wanted I to say that I checked out uh, no, no, you said Fern and D. I was just trying to be polite. Right, I was like, oh, I'll, let, I'll let D go. Um, no, I, actually, real quick, I just wanted to say I checked out your comedy, and some of it's pretty dark, and I just have to say I absolutely love it. It's great. Oh, um, some of the things that you talk about that I just don't hear a lot of people talk about so it, and joke about, mm-hmm. and it's like I was – it's funny. I was watching a video that uh, Nick had put up on the Kettle of Fish page, 
And mm. I was rolling. Like, I was laughing my ass off. I was like, I love this chick. This is some funny <laughs> shit. So oh, I just I wanted to just let you know that. Like, I had, I had, you know, checked it out. It was really cool. So oh, that's, that's it. Awesome. Yeah. Let me oh, ask you this, and we'll kind of wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there's okay. a certain formula that everybody's adhering to? I mean, I know the newest crop of comics come out, and they have to be edgy, and they have to be ironic. Like, do you feel the mm-hmm. pressure to conform to that? Or do you just go on the mic and be like, dude, I'm going to do brandy, and if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. Or is there a kind of um, competitiveness in it where you do have to kind of be edgy and ironic to stay relevant in the comedy scene now? I mean, I I've always thought that if you're not authentic on stage, eventually people can smell it out on you. I mean, like I, you know, I, t- to me, to me, it's all about being authentic. Like who I am on my album, who I am in my stand up is exactly like who I am as a person, just a little bit more amped up. And that's just, you know, I mean, comedy goes through phases where sometimes, you know, like there's a lot of like baby Bill Bur- baby, uh, Bill Burr's, baby Bill Hicks out there. There's a lot of baby Kyle Cadeans out there. Who just like when they first start out, they kind of like model themselves after the comics that they care about the most. Um, and I mean, that works for a while. It's, you know, I just kind of, when you're figuring out what a joke structure is, I just, I don't know. I, I write jokes the way I, I write them. I don't really know how to write them anywhere else, much to my own detriment sometimes. It would probably be easier if I could just be like, ah, what's the deal with this? Because then I, you know, might have had a Conan by now. But <laughs> it's like, well, I don't right. know. I know these like long kind of ranty conspiracy theory laden um, dark comedy rants and like that's the the way that my brain writes jokes. I don't know how to write them any other way. So why leave Baltimore and go to L.A.? Because it seems like Baltimore would be prime. You've got New York right there, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh. I mean D.C. You've got so many comedy hubs. Why go out west? Because you're very East Coast. I mean, I could tell even before I yeah. knew you were Baltimore, you were East Coast. Mm-hmm. So why take that over to L.A. where there's where it's so I feel um, diluted and there's so many comedians out there? Why put yourself in that situation? Um, I mean, I so I, I started doing stand up out here. I didn't start doing stand up on the East Coast. Um, oh really? I, I, uh, yeah, I moved out here. I, so I'm from Maryland, I went to college in Philly, and then I moved out here basically to be a, a comedy writer. And that's what I went to school for. I wanted to do that. And I kind of just fell in love with the stand-up scene out here. And there's just a lot of really cool, like, awesome. I mean, like, I got to go see Paula Tompkins and Jimmy Pardo, and, you know, and Maria Bamford uh, for free, like, every night of the week for the first couple of years I lived here. And I just kind of, like, fell in love with, like, that smart, interesting, weird comedy because I had never really seen a place for myself in stand-up before that because I was like eh, I don't know it just seems like a lot of like bros like backwards baseball caps and that's cool but like I don't I don't know how well I fit into that and then I started seeing I don't know I just kind of fell in love with stand-up out here and I just when I, I moved out here right after college because I was like well why not make the move see if you like it or not you know I, I lived on the east coast, east coast my whole life I was like yeah, I was gonna see if you like the west coast I think you would and I, I love it out here but you do have to be a comedy lover, right? I mean, you can't be successful just kind of dabbling. You have to be someone who's fairly obsessed with comedy to be successful, yeah. in it, right? You can't just jump in oh. half measures, right? No, no, no. It's it's all about just going balls to the wall, you know, and just and just throwing yourself at it completely. I mean, this is you know, I this is like what I what I eat, breathe, and sleep 
every day. You know, it's a complete full-time job. It's so funny whenever you watch, like, documentaries about, like, comics from, like, the 80s and stuff, and they're just like, I only work 45 minutes a day. <laughs> I'm like, no, you don't. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a 24-hour job. What are you talking about? You're emailing people. You're promoting stuff. You're on the road driving. You're writing new bits. You're, you know, working on old ones. You're, you know, you're, you're networking exactly. with a comic. Watching comedy. It's, it's a full-time, it's a full-time gig. And Dee got kind yeah. of distraught at me a couple weeks ago when I was like, you don't get it. I am politics. Like, you're like, oh, <laughs> you're always looking at politics and watching MSNBC and writing I'm like, people. dude, you didn't used to be, man. You used What's to be real. With... You used to be dude, a person. No, I'm kidding. I, I would love to go to the parties and be the guy who could still tell the dick jokes, but this country is fucking falling apart. So somebody's got to step up to the plate Not and put together yeah. a podcast and get out there yeah. and say something. Not that, like, everything is irrelevant. Comedy... Is ser- is serving the public in a very real way. Um, what I'm doing, yeah. serving the public. As long as you're doing something, right on. I'm on board. Oh, definitely. Do something. De- mm-hmm. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I mean, I've always thought that stand up and comedy is a really great way to like make people more open to listen to a different point of view and maybe rethink something too. Like I've definitely had some people send me messages. They're like, "Oh, I'd never thought about, you know, that that way before. That's really interesting. Thank you for that. You know. So it's you know, it's it's really it's yeah it, it's it's a really great very powerful art form when you respect it and use it correctly and i've also i toured the country and like i found that you can say pretty much anything to anybody because i mean i'm i'm definitely like pretty liberal and have like you know a lot of opinions uh and um uh you know as long as you are honest and not condescending like people that even if they 100 percent disagree with you they'll, they'll hear you out as long as you don't condescend to them when you talk to them you know, and on I've gotten stage. some really interesting conversations. Not on stage, on stage. Not yeah. on Facebook, trust me. I've been well, very honest on Facebook. Facebook. It didn't end well. Facebook. Well, Facebook is its own nightmare. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's a great place to end. Brandy, thank yeah. you so much for coming on the show. Tell everybody where we can find everything Brandy Posey related. Okay, uh, so uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Brandazzle, B-R-A-N-D-A-Z-Z-L-E. And uh, I also have a podcast that I do uh, called Lady to Lady. Um, we're on the Maximum Fun Podcast Network uh, with John Hodgman and Jesse Thorne. Um, and it's me and two other female comics. And we have a fourth female comic on every week. And we uh, just kind of riff and goof off. And, like, it's oh, a lot of people really love it. A lot of dudes listen to it, too. Because um, they're like, oh, this is what it's like. Like a bunch of women are just hanging out. Cool. This is hilarious. So, Very uh, nice. Yeah, that's a good time. Um, and then uh, my album is Opinion Cave, and you can find it on iTunes, Amazon, Bandcamp. Uh, yeah, buy it, please. <laughs> I would appreciate it. All righty. Thank you very much for calling in today. We will be gone next week because of Easter. We'll be back in two weeks with Ignorance Equation and Kettle of Fish. Have a great Sunday, guys.